Hello and welcome to episode four of the Midweek Simplicity Podcast, where we get as practical and down to earth as we can on how to minimize and simplify your life. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about the closet and how to start tackling your clothes. We've talked about how to move from there to the rest of the house and the questions that you should ask as you hold each item that you own in your hand, uh, how to start the minimalism process and the importance of building momentum along the way. But no minimalism journey would be complete without a discussion of the tough space spots in your home, which is what I want to talk about and tackle this week. If you are on this minimalism journey with us, then you'll have discovered by now that there are different layers or levels to your journey. And each level goes a little deeper than the one before. It gets a little harder. It requires us to trust God a little more than the previous steps. Every time you go down a level, it requires more faith and you launch out into greater depths. To live a Christ-centered, eternally focused life requires us to take this journey at some point in our lives. But that doesn't mean that it will be quick or easy. And the deeper you go, the harder it gets. When you start, sort of the first level is the, is the ankle deep water. It's sort of the superficial level, the stuff that holds no emotional ties. It might be hard to let go of stuff in the beginning because you're frugal or don't want to waste anything or give away something that you might want someday, but you still end up giving it away because you have three other items that are very similar or someone else might need it or you really want more space in your garage or whatever it is. Um, there's The superficial level is a bunch of the stuff that's duplicates or just junk that's in our home that we don't really use or want. It was just there. Uh, And that superficial level is the first step and typically the most addicting. Once you get going, you don't want to stop. uh, And you just love to just rip through that level of stuff. But once you're done, then you move on to the next level. And that's sort of the knee deep uh, layer, which is where things start to get real. Uh, Often as we get into the knee deep level, It will involve stuff that you've kept out of guilt, Uh, not because you need them or even truly want them, but because we feel guilty giving them away. It could be anniversary gifts or Christmas gifts or stuff from past birthdays or vacations, something handmade that was given to us, whatever it might be. Uh, We're worried about hurting someone's feelings, but it can morph over time into full-blown bondage. Uh, Sometimes we're holding on to stuff from people who are dead because we still feel guilty giving it away. Uh, The dead person won't care. They're not going to ask you where that thing went, but we still struggle to let it go. Uh, So that's sort of a lot of our our middle level stuff falls into that category. But as you struggle through the mid-level stuff, eventually you come to the depths. And this is where things get really difficult. And the uh, toughest spot is going to be different for everyone. But here's one way to determine what your toughest spot might be. Uh, Think back to a few weeks ago to our first conversation on minimalism when you uh, heard this concept that less is more, that Jesus might be calling you to get rid of a bunch of your stuff. Uh, What was your reaction? 
Because most of us in that moment, when we're introduced to this idea of biblical minimalism, we run in our minds, we run straight to the hardest thing in our lives. Uh, You say, well, I can't be a minimalist. What about dot, dot, dot? And you fill in the blank. Uh, What about my garage tools? Certainly you're not asking me to give those up. What about my family heirlooms? Uh, What about my book collection? What about my second car or my childhood keepsakes or whatever it is? We typically run straight to the toughest spot for us personally. And then we conclude right out of the gate that we can't possibly be minimalists. And and because we are uh, a month or so into our simplicity series, uh, some of us are now bumping up against the toughest spots in your home. Uh, For some of us, that's the kitchen. For some of us, that's sentimental items and keepsakes and souvenirs. Uh, For some, that's family heirlooms or things that have been passed down through the generations. Uh, It could even be something that your grandparents or parents gave you before they passed away. Uh, For others, it's going to be some sort of collection. Uh, We've collected keychains or fishing rods or automobiles, and now we aren't sure what to do with our collection that we've gathered. Uh, For some, it's garage tools. Uh, For me personally, our very house was one of the last items uh, for me to really begin processing and praying over. For some of you, it's cars. Uh, So everyone's tough spot is different, but as you peel back the layers, they go from easy to difficult. So this episode is all about the toughest spots to minimalize in your home. So what we're going to do is run through a few of the most common tough spots and how you might tackle them, uh, sort of the final strongholds to conquer on your journey to a more simple life with Jesus. And we'll start with one of my personal tough spots, which is probably the hardest one for me, and that was sentimental items. Uh, when I began this process, I had family heirlooms that had been passed down for generations. I had multiple bins uh, stuffed with toys and sentimental stuff from my childhood. I had all of my middle school and high school yearbooks. I had bins of souvenirs from 20 different countries all over the world, and I was afraid to let go of any of it. Uh, It all carried nostalgia and memories and served as a porthole uh, to the past, uh, to these times in my life that were uh, beautiful moments. But over time, Jesus made it clear that I needed to start letting things go. And this was hard. Uh, The sentimental stuff may be physically light in many cases, but it's emotionally heavy. It's all of the items that would mean almost nothing to someone on the street if you tried to give them away, but they feel like they mean the world to us. Uh, So I started slowly tackling these items, and one of the things God challenged me with in the process was the fact that I didn't really use uh, most of my sentimental stuff. They weren't serving any real purpose in my life. I hadn't looked at my yearbooks since the summer they were signed. Uh, That was 20 years ago. Uh, Do do I really plan to use them in the next 20 years? Uh, I mean, 20 countries worth of souvenirs were in bins in the garage. Uh, They were uh, memories from awesome trips, but they weren't on display. They weren't adding value to my life. Was I really going to display or enjoy them moving forward? Uh, Probably not. I wanted to keep them just in case, but I have to be realistic about that. I had bins of toys and keepsakes from my childhood. Uh, Why did I save these for 30 years? I have to ask myself that question. Okay, whatever that purpose was, 
it's time to get after it and, and put them to that purpose. So this was the toughest category for me. A few things that I found really helpful in the sentimental category. Uh, at first, I had to remind myself or be reminded that the memories live inside of us. Uh, they're not in our stuff. Uh, we don't need physical things in order to relive or enjoy memories from the past. Uh, a picture can often be just as effective as the physical item for those who do want sort of memories or little portholes to the past. Uh, pictures work great. So I took pictures of tons of my stuff, of my sentimental items before getting rid of it. Uh, some of the pages from my yearbooks, uh, the old uh, green chair, high chair that had been in our family for a hundred years, uh, my souvenirs from around the world. And those pictures are stored in a folder on my computer. So if I need to be reminded of the past, uh, I can use those photos instead of the physical items and I let the stuff go. Uh, I recently discovered in my mom's house five or six full bins of photographs. And so now we're making plans to scan those photos, which is going to take a while. There's like thousands of them. But to scan those photos into a file on her computer, uh, display maybe two or three of the best ones in her house, and then ditch the five or six bins. Uh, so take photos or scan sentimental items. Uh, and that was really helpful for me in being able to part with and let go of the physical stuff whenever you can. Uh, another tool or kind of phrase that I found helpful is to keep the best and chuck the rest. Uh, I had stacks of pictures from my high school days. So I chose my top 10 pictures uh, and memories from high school and kept them in, in I've now reduced down to a sh my stuff from like two or three big bins down to like a shoebox of, of stuff that I'm keeping. So I said, okay, put those 10 photos in a shoebox and, and chuck the rest. I had 120 keychains from my childhood keychain collection. So I kept my top 10 uh, and I passed those on and, and you know let the kids enjoy them. But I took pictures. I just took pictures of the others and got rid of the rest. Uh, we had bins of baby clothes that my wife and I were afraid to get rid of. So we kept, we sorted through all of them uh, and we kept a few of our all-time favorites in case we adopt a fourth child and we passed on the other 95% of our baby clothes to people who need them today. And uh, one of the benefits of doing this, of taking this mentality of, hey, I'm going to choose a few of the best items and ditch the rest is that you actually end up using the things that you keep. This has been true in our experience. We now use the things that we keep. Uh, I put my favorite keychain uh, on the keys that I use every day. And my kids are now playing with the best of my childhood toys that I kept all of those years. And I put my top five sentimental items uh, on the mantle in my office, uh, on display in a place where I'm actually going to uh, enjoy them day in and day out. Uh, and now I'm actually enjoying all of these things that otherwise would have been boxed up and lost in piles and piles of similar items in the garage. So um, keep the best and chuck the rest has been an invaluable sort of mindset for me personally. I've ditched 95% of my childhood stuff, souvenirs, family heirlooms, all of that stuff is gone. I took pictures of most of it. Uh, I, I kept uh, 
I kept a few items. I passed on some of the best of it to friends and family or charities that we appreciate. And I feel so much lighter and freer today than I did before. Uh, it's amazing how little I miss even the toughest things uh, to part with. Uh, but maybe if you're really struggling with this, maybe you start with half. Uh, maybe you have two bins of childhood stuff and you can cut that down to just one. Uh, maybe you have two bins uh, full of old journals and you're going to cut that down to just one or to half of a bin or whatever it is. Uh, but go ahead and just start setting goals for yourself in the sentimental category and start moving in the right direction. Uh, and keep in mind that as we sort of release the past and all of the stuff that we carry with us, in a sense, it frees us up to embrace new relationships and new adventures in, in the present uh, through that process. So that's a few thoughts on the sentimental stuff. Um, probably a lot more that we could talk about there, but there are a bunch of other tough spots that we want to cover in this episode as well. So moving on to the next item, uh, the next item on the list is paperwork. And there's different classes of paperwork. This is often a tough category for people, but you can think of it in several categories. There's the sentimental paperwork, which we just run through the process that I talked about a moment ago. Maybe we display uh, our favorite piece or two, uh, take pictures and scan the things that we're struggling to let go of and throw the rest out. Uh, but the bulk of the problem when it comes to paperwork is actually the mountains of sort of regular paper clutter in our homes that we don't need. Most of us have thousands of pages of stuff that we're holding on to uh, that we're never actually going to use. That that aren't adding value, that are detracting value. Uh, most of us have file folders or bins full of paperwork uh, that we've never used or referenced, and it just stacks up. Many of us have like these little stacks of papers that are kind of like our to-do list that we just kind of move from one place to another and shuffle around, which is a source of anxiety all its own. Uh, and many of us keep old bills and credit card statements and user manuals and notes we've written and a hundred other things because we think we need them when in reality you really don't. Um, you can keep three years of your most recent tax documents uh, or even scan those into the computer and uh and toss them out. Uh, there's probably a few other important papers in terms of like the title to your car and other things like that. Uh, but you can keep a, a small amount of the most important recent stuff and chuck the rest. Uh, sorting through the paperwork for most people is going to take time and it isn't easy. Uh, basic advice would be just to keep a bare minimum of the paperwork that you need from the most recent few years. Uh, scan or take pictures of what you're unsure of or think you might need and chuck the rest. Uh, I mean, just as an example, I had uh, stacks of paperwork. I had a hundred different user manuals for strollers and microwave ovens and circular saws. And yet never in my life have I ever gone and consulted a user manual to fix something. Uh, why would I? I? I have YouTube. So I threw out my 100 plus user manuals and years and years worth of old paperwork and tax stuff and all of these things that I didn't really need. Next on the list uh, after paperwork is books. 
uh, which is another tough category for a lot of people. I had collected hundreds of books over my lifetime, particularly during my time as a pastor, and I didn't want to part with any of them. But I eventually decided uh, on a new standard that instead of just keeping everything that was recommended to me or everything I'd ever read, I changed my standard and said, I'm only going to keep the books that I really uh, love and use and would recommend to others. If I can look at a book and say, this is one of my favorite books and I'll read it again or recommend it to someone else, then it would stay. And pretty much everything else had to go. Uh, Hundreds and hundreds of books, probably 50 to 100 of which I'd never read before, but wanted to someday. And that even was a source of stress that they're always sort of there on the shelf. Like, oh, if I only had time, I would read these other, you know, 50 books that are sitting here. Uh, They all had to go. And I had to be honest, if I haven't read this book in the three years since I've bought it, is it really realistic to think that I'm going to read it in the next three years? Okay, well then pass it off to somebody else who wants to read it today. Uh, There's no need to stockpile 500 books just in case. Uh, I have no one to impress. And I don't need to hold on to books that I used to love, but don't read anymore. If I'm torn over a sentimental book, take a picture, save the memory, pass it along. But from here forward, uh, I'm only going to allow myself a small bookshelf of my favorites, which sort of ensures that I keep only the best books because I have a very limited space. And I lend or give away books whenever someone asks me for one. And uh, I'm currently trying to experiment with buying uh, current books sort of from here forward, trying to see what it would look like to just buy Kindle books, uh, which has plenty of benefits. I can bring my whole library with me. uh, But in the meantime, I have less clutter uh, in my house. That's just one of the advantages of kind of um, putting technology to use for the sake of simplicity. And speaking of technology, that is another tough spot for many people. Uh, For starters, we are, I think as a culture, as a people, in a very unhealthy rhythm of buying new technology whenever it becomes available, even though our old technology works perfectly fine. Uh, And we have to shift that. We have to shift that buying mentality. We don't need a new iPhone every time a new iPhone comes out. Uh, Buy a new iPhone or uh, buy a new phone or even a used phone uh, when your current phone is no longer functional. Like let's use the stuff that we have until it ceases to function. Uh, Let's think critically about what technology is actually helping you improve your life and solving real problems and which are just kind of uh, distractions or gimmicks or clutter within your home. Uh, We had a bunch of technology that was just distracting us and just clutter in drawers everywhere, not adding value. That has to go. Uh, And again, one of the one of the problems in this is that we, for whatever reason, we hold on to old technology just in case we have a bunch of us, you know, have old phones that we're never going to use again and old desktop computers that are just collecting dust and 150 random cords and chargers that we don't use or don't even know what they go to. Like just clean the slate and ditch all that technology stuff and uh, reduce it down to just the things that you use on a daily basis, the things that seriously add value to your life. Uh, And remember, As you're going through all of this, that uh, if you zoom out and think about the big picture, we're doing all of this, you're doing all of this to lighten your load. Uh, We can't take anything with us when we die. 
And in the meantime, we want to minimize our possessions so that we can maximize life with God and live intentional, uh, intentional lives for the kingdom. We're reducing our temporal stuff to maximize uh, the eternal in our lives. We, uh, we are becoming less. Our stuff is becoming less so that he can become more. Uh, and remember, as you go, particularly as you tackle some of the tough areas, to keep your goals and your purpose statement in front of you as you go through them. You're going to need to keep your momentum up through these tough places. Uh, you're going to need uh, to, to have uh, some sort of fresh motivation as you venture into the depths. And so a year ago, when I was starting my minimalism journey, uh, I got before the Lord and I wrote out these goals for my life. These are things that God is calling me to in this season of my life. And here's what I wrote. Number one, raise passionate followers of Jesus within our family and our own children. Uh, Number two, create a clutter-free home uh, for homeschooling, hosting, and everyday life. Number three, spend more time with our children doing the things that we love. Number four, uh, start building up toward our goal is to say eventually start saving 15% of our income for retirement, uh, which just last month after a year of minimizing, we're just now getting to this place where we opened our first retirement account last month and started put and started saving toward that, which we're excited about. Uh, And the last one was be joyful and generous with what we have, sharing freely with others. And so I I put those five goals or things that God is calling us to in this season, wrote those down on a piece of paper, and I wrote at the bottom of my goals list, eliminate everything that distracts us from these these goals, Uh, clutter, consumerism, over busy schedules, which we'll talk about in a future episode, but you should keep your goals in front of you and remember why you're reducing your stuff. Oh, I'm reducing my stuff for these goals. I'm reducing my stuff to the extent that it brings freedom and and fresh possibilities for life with God. Uh, That's what motivates us to question our stuff. What do I actually need? Is my life actually structured in a way that's fruitful? Uh, And I've questioned everything uh, in our lives through that process. I've even questioned the home that we live in uh, and the cars that we drive. Like everything is out there on the table. Uh, And I know that sounds crazy to some of you, but cars and homes are two of the biggest things that we can tackle in our journey towards simplicity. And we have to be willing to question those things, to put those things on the altar, so to speak, and ask the tough questions about them. Uh, When it comes to cars, for example, um, they are expensive to own and time-consuming as well. There's a real cost involved. Uh, So ask yourself some tough questions about transportation. Uh, Could your family get by with two cars instead of three? Uh, What about one car? Uh, Are there other forms of transportation that we could take advantage of, uh, like Uber uh, or Lyft or the city transportation system or whatever it is? Uh, And consider the money that you spend on your cars as well. Uh, Why am I tempted to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a new car? Uh, Is it purely function that I'm after? Or am I trying to signal my status to other people, to gain people's respect? Uh, We have to sort these things out before the Lord. Why do I even want to drive the cars that I want to drive? What is that speaking uh, about my heart? 
generally speaking, you can have a higher impact life, uh, meaning more time, money, energy, and focus freed up by driving a modest car over an expensive one. You can drive a $60,000 car, but your life will probably have even more impact if you drive a $20,000 car or a $10,000 car. Uh, so think prayerfully and critically about what you're driving and why. And that brings us uh, to our final item on the list, which is perhaps the toughest of all for almost everyone, and that's the house. It's probably the biggest, scariest item to question, but every true journey in minimalism eventually arrives at this question. Do I need to live where I'm living? What are the pros? What are the cons? And what is God calling me to in this season of my life? And questioning your house or apartment is difficult, but there's also a huge payoff to be had because our homes require a lot of us and they can become the source of an incredible amount of stress. I mean, for most Americans, our, our home or apartment becomes an issue before we even move in because right in the beginning when we're getting qualified and the bank or apartment office gets back to us and says, congratulations, you're qualified to buy a home worth $350,000 or you qualify to rent an apartment priced at $1,800 a month. What we typically do is to go right to the top of our range. I want to live in the nicest place I can. So if the bank says they'll give me a loan for $350,000, I'm going to buy a $350,000 home. If I can afford an apartment that's on the high end, I'm going to rent that apartment. $1,800 a month, oh, it sounds a little pricey, but look how nice this looks. And the problem is that the day we move in, we're already stressing our finances and our budget. Uh, we've already overreached. Uh, we're already at capacity because we stretched as high as we could to grab the most expensive thing. So we often start with a mortgage that's too high, uh, but then the world screams at us about the other 300,000 items that we need to be happy and we just keep buying. So we have the house or whatever, the apartment, but we also need two cars and car insurance and health insurance and life insurance and home internet and Netflix and a thousand and one items from Amazon and the latest phone and new clothes, like lots of new clothes, hundreds of items of clothing, even though we don't actually wear the stuff that we own. Uh, and of course, I have to have that new kitchen gadget to add to the other 500 items jammed into my kitchen. And I'm still not happy, but for just three easy payments of $29.99, I can get the next item that just might finally make me feel happy. But notice that it often starts with where we live. I mean, how many people do you know that qualify for a $350,000 home and then choose to live in one that costs half that amount? It's, it's almost unheard of. Uh, but 
that's one of the biggest starting points for a life in simplicity, a life with margin, a life with capacity and bandwidth to pursue the things that matter most. The home that you choose to live in and the corresponding cost is one of the greatest, most important decisions that you will make. And many people who journey with Jesus into biblical minimalism end up questioning their home uh, and many often end up making choices or, or changes in where they live. Now, I've certainly questioned it, and we love our home. I feel so blessed to live where we do, but I've still questioned, Jesus, could we have more joy and higher kingdom, kingdom impact if we move to a smaller house? Uh, what if we rented a place instead of owning a place? Uh, would that increase our quality of life with God? Now, what if we bought a condo and only had a fraction of the maintenance and upkeep? Uh, I've brought all of those things before the Lord as we continue to pursue Him and the life of abundant simplicity that He calls us to. Uh, generally speaking, the smaller the home, the less expensive it is, the lower the mortgage, the easier it is to clean and maintain. Uh, smaller homes encourage more family bonding and connectivity, uh, and they're easier to sell when it's time to move on. Uh, but the problem is that we typically buy a house uh, that stretch, stretches our budget, uh, that stresses us out, and then we fill that home with 300000 items only to lament the fact that our house is overcrowded. So we really ought to have a bigger home to fit all of our stuff. And then we buy a bigger home uh, with more space. And guess what? We fill all the empty space in our new home really quickly, no matter how big it is. We expand and acquire more until that space is full. And then we buy a little bit more and we feel crammed again. And we think to ourselves, wouldn't it be nice to have a bigger house? to fit all of this stuff. The practice of simplicity helps us break out of that crazy cycle. And if God were to call us to move, uh, my hope would be to live in a smaller house than the one that we live in now, uh, which we will be ready to do once we finish minimizing. Uh, but I basically get before the Lord and talk with my wife and figure out what we're called to in this season. And we've done that and kind of established, hey, we're called to raise our three boys and pray about a fourth child in the future. Uh, my wife is doing homeschool at the basic introductory levels with our kids, so we want space for that. Uh, we regularly feel called to host people in our home and have small groups or a church gatherings uh, in our living space. Uh, we love having the capacity to host guests or family members from out of town, and we want to have a place we feel called to have a place where people can come and be restored uh, or even come and stay with us uh, in our guest room on an emergency basis for people who are uh, in between homes or in a crisis moment or whatever it is. We want to have the capacity uh, in this season to bring those people in. Well, if those are all of the things that God is calling us to in this season, then we aren't going to live in a tiny house 
uh, during this season of our lives. Uh, it wouldn't be feasible. It would make it harder to do what God is calling us to do and be for our church community, uh, for our neighbors, for our extended family, uh, for others who need short-term places to stay. Uh, but we're going to keep holding that decision before the Lord and asking him to guide us when it comes to housing. As much as we love our home, we hold it with a loose grip. Uh, and my goal uh, is always now trending toward smaller and simpler. Uh, and in the midst of that, like I just have this driving desire to pay off our mortgage as fast as possible uh, and be free of that and just have resources freed up for greater kingdom impact. Uh, and guess what? Our season of life is going to change. And as it does, uh, our eyes are set on the smaller and the simpler, not the bigger and more extravagant, which totally flies in the face of all of the trends and patterns of the world around us. So that's it for this episode. I hope this was helpful uh, for those of you who have made it through the superficial levels and are coming face to face with the deeper uh, layers of your minimalism journey. We talked about sentimental stuff, uh, souvenirs and heirlooms, books, paperwork, technology, cars, uh, the homes or apartments that we live in. Uh, I'm realizing that I forgot to talk about the garage uh, and based on our schedule, I doubt we'll ever have time to tackle that specifically specifically in the future. But if you're tackling the garage, only keep the things that you truly use, that you value uh, and add value to your life. Ditch the piles of junk that we hold onto just in case. Uh, ditch the old tools that you never use and never will. Uh, and, and take a, a similar mentality with the kitchen, which is another tough spot for people. Uh, keep the things and the tools within your kitchen that you truly uh, use, that are, that are necessary the pieces that you uh, engage with on a regular basis and ditch the rest. Uh, your garage will be a more enjoyable place to work and your kitchen will be a more enjoyable place to cook if you ditch the clutter and the excess and only keep the best, only keep what is truly helping you and adding value to your life. And with that, we will end this episode. Uh, blessings on your minimalism journey. Hope this was helpful and we'll see you on Sunday.